0: When you think of uh, the most important doctrine of Christianity, what comes to your mind? Salvation by grace alone, justification by faith, the Trinity, that God, God, three, to God and God, one God with three persons. Now, these are all important truths, And we would say they are all part of core Christianity. Did anyone think of the phrase union with Christ? Union with Christ. If you're like most of us, uh, probably not. Uh, it's not a common phrase we think of. Pastor Kevin DeYoung who, pastor and author Kevin DeYoung in South Cal- uh, North Carolina, he said, union with Christ may be the most important doctrine that you've never heard of. Why would that be? Why is that? Perhaps a part of the reason is because we tend to think of everything about our lives with us as a center. Even those of us who call ourselves Christians or deeply, deeply evangelical Bible-believing Christians, we think of Christians as something we do. We accept Jesus Christ into our hearts. We follow Jesus. We obey Jesus. Now these are all important things, and I'm not saying we shouldn't do those things. These are perfectly reasonable language for us to use. But the union with Christ, doctrine of union of Christ says we become part of Christ. When a branch gets engrafted to the main tree, branch is not the center. And the Bible says when we become a Christian, we get engrafted into Jesus. The sap flows from the tree to the engrafted branch. So we are not the center, Jesus is. Now I just call some of us and some of you and actually most of you as Christians. But for the believers in the first century, they probably did not call themselves as Christians. The word Christian appears only three times in the New Testament. And being called a Christian was most likely a pejorative term. So for example, in Acts eleven twenty-six, 26, it says, and in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. And that was a label given, by the, given to the followers of Jesus by those who did not believe Jesus. It was almost a, a negative term. Instead, for the followers of Jesus, they refer themselves as being in Christ. In Christ. The phrase in Christ appears 89 times in the New Testament. And if you add such phrases, phrases as in him, or in whom, or in Jesus, you add a few more dozen times. So it seems like Being in Christ or union with Christ seems like a very important concept. So what does this mean that we are in Christ, that we are united to Christ? So as we open our word uh, from John 15 this morning, we want to at least get a glance, a scratch on the surface as to what the Bible teaches about this notion union with christ or as we read in from john 15 the first 12 verses to abide in christ in fact you should have you probably noticed that in in the words that our scripture reader read the word abide appeared many times uh in fact 10 times so we so we want to understand what that truth is and how that truth of union with christ changes what we think about Christianity, and changes how we live as a Christian. So first we'll look at one, what does it mean to abide in Christ or to be united to Christ? And second, we'll look at how do we abide in Christ? What are the means? And then third, we'll look at what is the ultimate goal of abiding in Christ. So first, what does it mean to abide in Christ? John 15 passage is part of, what Jesus, part of what Jesus taught his disciples on the night before crucifixion. Sometimes we call this section a farewell discourse because Jesus just told them in, in chapter 14 that he was going to leave them. And so these were some of his last words and they were especially important in light of the fact that jesus, the disciples were very concerned what does this mean that jesus is leading them and jesus begins in verse one i am the true vine and it says the true vine why the adjective true so the word true indicates that there are false vines and Jesus was speaking to his disciples, that is a Jewish audience, and they should have remembered that in the Old Testament, Israel was often referred as the divine. There was to be the vine that brings life, the spiritual life, to other nations. But they fail. So, contrast to such historical context, Jesus is saying. I am the true vine. Jesus is saying, being an Israelite is not sufficient or effective. You need to be connected to me and follow me. The disciples are to get their identity and their spiritual power from the fact that they are connected to Jesus, not that they are Israelites. Jesus is a true vine, the chosen one from God. And then in verse four, Jesus commands his disciples, abide in me. And subsequently he says, and I in you. That is, I will also abide in you. In verse five, and then he says, I am divine, you are the branches. So Jesus reminds again the disciples that, I am divine, and you are the branches. And I'm using the ESV translation In the NIV that many of you may have, the, the word abide is the same word as remain. So In the NIV it says, remain in me as I also remain in you. Another way of saying this is that we become united to Christ. We abide in him and he abides in us. In chapter 14, Jesus just told his disciples that he was going away. So he wants to assure them that he is not leaving them alone. He'll be somehow remaining with them, even though physically not present with them. And Jesus used the metaphor of uh, the vine and the branches to teach this truth. I'm sure you've all seen a grapevine or grape tree, and vine and the branches form one tree. So when you look at a grape tree or grapevine, it's all of the vine and the branches that make the same tree. The vine and the branches are united. They are one. And the branch, if it's broken off from the vine, it's no use. In the same way, we are to abide, that is to remain in Jesus, and he remains with us. We are to be united to Jesus. But how does it work what does it mean we don't want to just understand these words uh, academically we want to understand what does this really mean in our christian life so let's first begin by looking at how that works in our salvation in our justification when it tells us to abide in him is there something we need to do to earn our, earn our way to salvation The branch cannot do anything, it just stays there. The vine is doing all the work. So Jesus is talking about what he has already done for us. He's not saying, try your best. In fact, verse three says, already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. So Jesus is saying, you are already clean. You are already forgiven because of the gospel. Jesus died on the cross to take away our sins. Jesus took our sins and bore them on the cross. But sin is not something physical. It's not something I can hand off to Jesus. The Bible also tells us that we are made right with God by his righteousness of our own. So how does this happen? How does sin get taken to Jesus and his righteousness get taken to us? It happens because we are united to Christ. We are connected just like the branches are connected to the vine and the sap flows. Our sins get transferred to Jesus because we are united to Jesus and our sins flow to Jesus and his righteousness flow to us. His life becomes ours. His death becomes ours. His righteousness becomes ours and his resurrection becomes ours. This is why Apostle Paul can say, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Jesus is a true vine and we are the branches. But second, not only for our salvation, abiding in Christ is a source of all fruitfulness in our life, as we said in the key biblical truth: the sap flows from the vine to the branches, and it gives it life. And the branches bear fruit. If you break off a branch from the grapevine, initially the leaves may stay green and the young grapes may look okay, but in a few days. They will all dry up, and they will die. Branches cannot survive if they are detached from the vine. Branches cannot bear fruit on their own. So verse 5 says, Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. This is why the truth of union with Christ well, abiding in Christ is central to our Christian life. Apart from this, the Bible is saying, Jesus is saying, we cannot do anything. There's no salvation apart from union with Christ, there's no bearing fruit apart from union with Christ. But really, actually, let's think about that a bit. Do I need to abide in Christ to play tennis? Do I need to abide in Christ to drive a car or to cook dinner? Indeed, we can do these things, but these are temporal. Apart from Jesus, we cannot bear spiritual fruit. They must come from the vine. So what type of fruits is Jesus talking about then? It's the fruit of transformed life. The fruit in the Bible usually talks about character. We get the fruit of the spirit in the Galatians. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's all about character. And change character then leads to change priorities and change relationships. Our world is full of books and advice columns on 10 things we must do to better better ourselves. Probably most of us read those. What are 10 things or five things we need to do to exercise better or eat better? But Jesus tells us that the key to a transformed life is to be connected to him, to remain in him, to be united to him. He's the key to a transformed life. And it's all of what we do by faith in Jesus. We cannot produce these fruits without the power of Jesus flowing through us. That is, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to produce the spiritual fruits. I was meeting with a young father at our church who became a Christian only a few years ago in his adult life. When I asked him what convicted him to turn to Christ, He says, surrender. I was a little bit puzzled. I said, well, can you explain? What what do you mean? He said that while he he was beginning to date a woman, who is now his wife, he realized there were numerous things in his life and his character that needed to be changed. But he could not change. He tried very, very hard to change, especially for the sake of relationship with his girlfriend. But he could not that's when he realized that he had to surrender to someone who can change him. He had to surrender to God. And by surrendering to God, he was now abiding in Jesus. And slowly and surely, God changed him, and he's continuing to change him. And That's a supernatural change that God is causing in his life. An old pastor from Scotland, William Still, said, Christian is one who learns to do supernatural things naturally. Christian is one who learns to do supernatural things naturally. Isn't that so true? Apart from Jesus. However, we cannot do anything. So we ought to abide in Him, remain in Him, or be united to Him in order to bear fruit. In the verse, first two verses, verse 1 and 2, give us some more details on what God does so that we will bear more fruit. Verse two says, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. It's interesting, It says, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. If you have fruit trees in your yard, you probably know this. Fruit trees don't bear good fruits if you don't prune. My son and his family live in uh, Flushing, and they have a very active uh, peach tree in their backyard. When they moved to this house about five years ago, they were very excited as they saw many little peach buds early summer. They hoped to get thousands of peaches. They were so excited. But sadly, these buds never got bigger than a, and a cherry. And we couldn't eat any of them. Uh, we didn't know anything about farming or agriculture, or he didn't know anything. So the following year, we thought, okay, we should prune some of these things. I think that's a good thing. The Bible even says, so we pruned the tree a bit and the peaches got a little bigger. They were now the size of a strawberry. We still couldn't eat much. So we kept pruning. And in fact, just this last year, after about four years of pruning, um, they became the size of a, just a small peach. So we were able to enjoy some. Unless the grapevine is pruned well, it won't produce good grapes. So the gardener prunes. In verse one, it tells us that the Father, God the Father is the gardener. He prunes to help us grow. Pruning causes pain in our lives. Whether are physical, relational, career, financial, Sufferings and hardships and other trials and difficulties do not come to the branches randomly. The pruner does not prune randomly. They are the work of a loving father. And they have a purpose, namely more fruit, more abundant fruit. That's why verse two says, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. This truth is mentioned also in Hebrews um, we can read Hebrews twelve six. It says, The Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises, chastises every son whom he receives. And then verse 11. For the moment, all discipline, discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And isn't it true, when we reflect on our lives, from our own experiences that we grow the most when we have gone through troubles in our lives, we're able to trust God to see us through, the trust of loving gardener, our loving Father prunes us so that we can grow more abundantly. So I hope you start to see this truth of union with Christ being an important truth, important doctrine, christianity from our initial salvation being forgiven of our sins to how we are being transformed to bear fruits in our lives so then how do we abide in christ what does a branch do to bear fruit branch actually has to stay on the vine it has to stay connected it stays so that it can receive the sap and the nutrients through the vine. So branches work is to stay connected. It will then bear fruit. There's no other way. And this passage, the passage that we read shows us a few ways on how we abide in Christ and receive the sap that is the power through Jesus. So let's look at some of these verses and see what we can learn and how we abide. What are the means of abiding in Christ? So first, we abide in Christ by abiding in his word. Verse 7 tells us, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you. My words abide in you. Jesus gave us his words so that his words can abide in us. Through these written words, God has revealed himself to us so that we can get to know him and see his beauty. Author Jonathan King says in the book, Beauty of the Lord, God's beauty is seen throughout scripture in the beauty of Christ. Scripture is one story that tells of God's beautiful heart to redeem a people for himself and to make them beautiful like his son, Jesus Christ. God gave us a scripture to reveal himself to us. So it makes sense for us one, to read what he has written for us to his children. So we want to make it a habit to read, study, inquire of him in his word. Just like the psalmist tells us in Psalm 1-2, his delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law, he meditates day and night. And that should be the pattern of our lives, to delight in God's word. So to abide in Jesus is first to abide in his word, to re-meditate and saturate our lives with his word so that God's word becomes our guide for our lives, God's word is what we obey. Second part of verse seven gives us another aspect of how we abide Jesus, abide in Jesus. It says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So we abide in Christ by communing through him, communing with him through prayer. We have to continue to depend on God through prayer by turning to him with repentance, without petitions, with thanksgiving. Now, some people may have misunderstood this pastor thinking that it is promising what some people call, name it and claim it. It seems to say, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. You name whatever you want, and it will be given to you. But this prayer, this asking, is in the context of our abiding in Christ. Peach tree or peach branch cannot ask the peach tree that he wants to bear banana fruit. He will bear peach tree, peach fruit, and only if it remains in the peach tree. So when we get to know Jesus, we come to identify with Jesus, we will want what Jesus desires. Our desire will be consistent with Jesus' character. So when we are abiding in Him, what we ask in our prayer will be consistent with the character of Jesus because we are connected to Him. It's like in a marriage, although no analogy will be perfect, those of us who have been married know this. Um, as we grow in our marriage, we grow to know each other, and we grow to desire what our spouse desires. In a sense, we become like each other. So we grow to know and love Jesus as we abide in Jesus. We become more like Jesus, and we pray consistent with His desires. That's why Paul said in Second uh, Corinthians, chapter three, we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. Are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So when we are abiding in Jesus, we pray. We persist in praying so that we commune with Jesus, consistent with his character, bringing our petitions to him. Verse 9 and 10 gives us another idea on how to abide in Jesus. It says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in his love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And then verse 12, it says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So what is Jesus saying here? He's saying we abide in Christ, we abide in Jesus by keeping God's commandments. And his foremost commandment that Jesus says in verse 12, is for us to love one another. So we abide in Christ and show that we are abiding in Christ by loving one another. But does this mean that we try to love one another in order to get connected to Jesus? No, branch does not get fruitful by itself and then connected only when it gets fruitful. Branch is fruitful when it's connected to the tree, to the vine, So we have to make sure we get the order right. We don't get to abide in Jesus by trying hard to love one another. Our love for one another is a result of his love for us. Our motivation to love one another is because he first loved us. So when we recognize that we have been saved by his grace undeservingly, and our sins have been completely forgiven by him when we deserve judgment, we'll get the power to love one another. If we are trying to earn our position with Jesus by obeying, then we don't get Christianity. It's simply moralism, basically what the world believes. On the contrary, Jesus is the one that gives us a sap, the power to be able to love one another. And then we'll get the strength to love one another. Let me add one more item. That we can infer this passage although it doesn't explicitly say as such the grapevine does not consist of a single tall branch it has many branches so in the same way being a christian being in christ is a family affair we don't stay a soul personal christian we are connected to jesus together as a community We abide in Christ, not only individually, but corporately. Christians are the body of Christ, so we gather together as a body of Christ. We gather as a family to abide together. So as we are doing today, we are encouraged to worship corporately as a church, as a family of God, together. We gather together to meditate on Jesus on the cross, on his beauty, As we sing read and hear from god's word together and because we are united to the risen christ we are the temple of the living god so as we gather to worship together corporately as we're doing today this is a place where god is especially present because we are the temple of the living god and don't you agree that when we gather We sense more of God's presence through each other. We see God's beauty in each other in our worship gathering. Pastor from um, Tennessee, Ray Olin, he says, it's only in a church that we are members of Christ and of one another, moving forward together like a well-coordinated body. It is together that we worship and grow and serve according to the word of God. And people can see his beauty in the world today, in churches, graced with holiness. Yes, we stay connected. We abide together in Christ as a church. Now, you might raise an objection at this time. So does this is always come down to the same things? Read the Bible, pray, go to church? Well, yes and no. Yes, we do these things because these are the means of God's grace, means by which the vine feeds us. And no, we don't do these things because they are something we have to do out of duty. These are things we do because we find joy in being with Jesus. Let me explain. Again, going back to the marriage analogy, one might ask, what do you do now that you are married? We might answer those of us who are married, well, we have dinners together, we clean the house, we read, or t- read together, we sometimes go on walks together. So that's it, that seems such a drudgery. You clean and read and walk? No, we would not say that because these are the means by which we enjoy each other. We continue to develop marriage and relationship to have joy in each other. So we learn to abide in Jesus by delighting in his word, by communing with him through prayer, by loving one another, his family members, and by worshiping together with his family. So in the final section, what is the goal of abiding in Christ? And verse eight tells us, it says, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As we abide in Christ and bear fruit, that gives much glory to our Father, to our Heavenly Father. It shows that the work of Christ is not in vain. For those of us who are parents, um, we can relate to to this truth as parents. When our children are, happy and doing well in their life, in their walk with Jesus, doesn't that bring much happiness and glory to our lives? I have two children and my adult son, adult son is the one that has peach tree in the backyard and he's happily married. And he and his wife are raising two young children and they are doing a wonderful job in godly parenting, actively involved in their local church. Ministering to their neighbors and their friends and sharing the gospel with them. They're bearing godly fruits. And that brings even earthly parents, me and my wife, much joy, much glory. So our Father in heaven is glorified when we bear much fruit. Abiding in Jesus, being united to Jesus, remaining in Jesus brings glory to our Father. Now, there's another purpose that our text tells us. In verse 11, it says, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Our abiding in Christ is so that our joy may be full. But this joy is not worldly joy, but his joy. It says that his joy may be in us. So what gives Jesus Joy. You get a hint of that from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It says, Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So, what was the joy of Jesus that he was willing to endure the cross? It was a joy of obeying his father, joy of seeing his people be forgiven, to be adopted into his family, joy of seeing our lives being changed to be Christ-like. And we we can witness that too. So for example, when we see a friend, a family member, a sinner repent, when we see they turn from their sinful patterns and give their lives to Christ, that gives us immense joy. Hopefully our time together in this John 15 passage helped us get a glimpse of the importance of this doctrine of union with Christ, the divine and the branch imagery. We have his life, his joy, his peace, his love, because he is in us. Abiding in Christ is the way of transformed life for a Christian. Being united to Christ is a source of all fruitfulness in your life, in my life. Apart from him, we cannot do anything. And the ultimate fruit is Christlikeness to become like the character of Jesus.